0: You're listening to Monocle on Sunday, first broadcast on the 13th of June 2021 on Monocle 24.
1: Good morning from Zurich. You're listening to Monocle on Sunday with me, Tyler Roudet, my yesterday Christoph Lenz, political editor at the Tagus Anziger, and Juliet Lindley, a bit of a regular here on Monocle 24, also a former Vatican correspondent. What's in the papers today, Juliet?
2: Tyler, we're going to skip the Vatican today. I'm going to go to the G7. But hey, I'm going to bring you an analysis of the hidden messages behind the first lady's choice of pink in Cornwall. And then I'm going to look at Italy, and you've got AstraZeneca jazz being banned following the death of an 18-year-old. And we're going to look at second-hand fashion getting a big tech makeover as thrift shops make way for apps when it comes to bargain hunting for used handbags and clothes.
1: Very good. We'll also get the headlines from London courtesy of our news editor Chris Chermack and deputy editor Josh Fennert, before heading to Tokyo to check in with our correspondent there.
3: I'm Fiona Wilson, Monocle's Asia Bureau Chief. I'll be talking about ageing sake underwater and the world's most punctual airport.
1: Looking forward to that. Plus, a check-in with what's making news on the pages of ZEIT magazine. It's the 13th of June, 2021, live from Zurich. This is Monocle on Sunday.
2: Live from Zurich, this is Monocle on Sunday with Tyler Brule.
1: And good morning from a very, very sunny Zurich. I'm very happy to say that uh, Juliet Lindley uh, is here in studio. Also, Christoph Lenz is here. He made the big journey up from Bern this morning. Of course, he's with the Tagus Anziger over in London uh, as well. Of course, we've got Emma Nelson who'll be with us in about 25 minutes' time with the news headlines. But also, Chris Chermack, our news editor, is there. Also, our deputy editor, Josh Fennert, is there as well. Good morning, gentlemen. Good
4: morning, Tina. Good morning. Good morning.
1: Uh, I wanted to uh, maybe let's start uh, very quickly in London because uh, Juliet really wants to, of course, get right into uh, all of it, ha- all that's happening, of course, or has happened as well at the G7 uh, in Cornwall. Uh, of course, uh, Christoph uh, wants to uh, discuss it as well. We'll make our way to Geneva, of course. Uh, we're part of the cavalcade heads next. But um, maybe, Chris, uh, maybe just bring us up to uh, up to date as to what's happened uh, over, of course, the past day or so um, down in Cornwall. Sure, Tyler.
5: So a lot, a lot going on, as you say. Really, each day has been somewhat themed. Uh, so today is the final day of the G7 summit. The topic, the main topic today, is climate change, uh, where there's been a lot of talk of potentially, you know, sort of stepping up uh, goals in terms of helping developing countries uh, tackle climate change. Um, yesterday, particularly the, the the pandemic, of course, was a key discussion, as well as uh, infrastructure and China. And this is something I'm sure we'll we'll talk about uh, quite a bit. I found it very interesting that how Joe Biden, for example, as you know, his his first uh, summit as uh, U.S. president. It's kind of been doing, it feels like a good job of of almost did not taking over the debate or controlling the debate to some degree with with some of his initiatives, you know, the minimum corporate tax debate that, that sort of came up ahead of the summit, which, which has been agreed to establish a minimum uh, corporate tax globally. And then yesterday, really, so much of this talk was on his Build Back Better World plan, which is essentially trying to counter the influence of China uh, around the world and in a way you could just say it's it's an extension of his own infrastructure plan back in the US uh, there's been a lot in the US of spending sort of additional money for infrastructure but also specific spending plans to confront China invest more in high tech um, to kind of improve the U.S. competitiveness. And he's sort of brought this, if you will, to London. And this was a key point of debate yesterday. A lot of discussion. Europeans not necessarily as happy with the, the China focus. The, you know, Angela Merkel, who who's has her last summit, uh, G7 summit this time, Uh, Was was one of those pushing back a little bit saying we have to also cooperate with China not everything about the summit can be Against China. Yes, we have to stand up for our values But we also have to work with them economically and on climate change. So some some bits of friction um, but but otherwise of course a big uh, you know, a big moment with with Joe Biden there for this this sense that America is back. Lots and lots of bilaterals between Biden and and everyone who was there. Uh, and in some ways, you know, it's it's the first time that they've all met in person again. So it'll be interesting to see what comes out over the next few days, few weeks, uh, as we get a sense of really what was also talked about behind the scenes as opposed to, you know, these these public statements that that often feel, you know, frankly, quite quite basic.
1: Mm. Um, Juliet, what's uh, your take been just watching, and I guess maybe purely from a presentation point of view, I mean, this is, of course, the world coming together again. But if you look at this from... A brand UK perspective uh, from also yeah I, I in many ways a brand g7 perspective as well how does it look to you
2: it's interesting I don't know that I would have necessarily chosen this windswept beach to, to um, as, as the spot to host you don't this, like but, you don't uh, like the
1: garden fence in, in no, the background think, when they were doing their photo call went down to home base to get that
2: I'm more of a Mediterranean beach person but it's interesting because as far as I'm concerned looking at the Italian papers this is like Italy is back at the g7 just as a a colleague of mine said, finally, we've got a heavyweight at the helm. You've got Mario Draghi as prime minister. In the past, we had sort of more um, yeah, questionable people leading. And so Repubblica is most, is very proud to put, you know, Italia, Europaista and Atlantista just saying, you know, we're there, we're with the US, but we're also with Europe. And um, they've got the picture of Joe Biden and Mario Draghi on their front. Page, and then of course I can tell you about the optics. On another front, do you want me to talk talk, to you? No, we're going to go. We're going to go
1: to Josh first, Josh. uh, And I also want to discuss an interesting media launch, of course, that we have uh, in in the UK today. GB News also launching, but we'll come. We'll come to that. But Josh, if you look at from a brand UK perspective, uh, are you are you are you are you a proud Englishman today? Um,
6: I would like to say that I am, but just seizing on a phrase that Chris mentioned about stepping up goals, one of the great uh, missteps of today is that Boris Johnson's press conference coincides exactly with the kickoff of England's European football campaign. So I'm not sure if he's trying to hide bad news there or if it's just a terrible piece of scheduling, but um, certainly uh, a lot of the political correspondents uh, may have another screen on watching the football at the same time. What I do think is that Boris Johnson is is probably, personally, a fairly good host. So when you get all of the world leaders back in the room for the first time uh, for a year, his bonhomie, his willingness to joke, probably has created a situation where people are able to talk. But if we look at the papers today, um, it seems like he got a bit of a kicking from European leaders yesterday about the potential of a trade war um, over Northern Ireland. So it's been a bad couple of days for the UK. I think in Boris Johnson's head it was going much better and he was looking ahead to the COP26 later this year with um, the UK government in a position of global leadership. What's actually happening is he's getting uh, jibes and uh, sniping from the sidelines from European leaders and he could be defeated in the Commons next week over his plan to cut foreign aid spending. So um, a mixed outlook uh, despite the sun down in Cornwall.
1: Mm. Uh, Christoph Lenz for the Tagus Anzeiger you are a political reporter by day and by night uh, I, I believe uh, watching uh, all of this and we, you know, just looking at the monitors up on the screen right now sun is out in, in Cornwall we can see uh, live shots from Falmouth uh, this morning uh, is this sort of everything it's cooked up to be is this what sort of a big set piece in terms of G7 is is there to deliver and of course as, as we're saying we've got a day of of course uh, of climate discussions and presentations
4: today as well I think you could say that yeah it seems to me like uh, some kind of a new dawn for the G7 in the time after Trump like you, you see them getting together uh, I was particularly surprised how Boris Johnson um, want or what he said about how he wants to tackle the crisis how he wants to um, make sure that nobody Left behind that um, we don't make the mistakes we did in 2008. Like he really wants to, he also spoke about how he wanted to take care that the women um, find a way out of the crisis. And I think that's um, quite an astonishing. Um, moment for the G7, and it seems like it's a new beginning.
1: Mm. Okay, Juliet, this is this is your moment. Uh, you wanted to focus <laughs> on on other aspects, of course. Uh, let me per, let me per, make this per, very perhaps clear. Sartor, no. sartorial aspects. I have
2: always steered clear of fashion reporting. It has never fascinated me in the least. Let me just <laughs> say that. Having said that, um, yeah, Grazia is giving you a whole analysis of the proof that the un- of the unexpected power of pink at the G7. So you've got the Duchess of Cambridge she's not a first lady but she's the the wife of the future king and she's wearing a chic magenta dress by Alexander McQueen which is an iconic British brand hen- headed by a woman so that's uh, Sarah Jane Burton so the shade was possibly chosen because it's a comment on bipartisanship do you get that
1: I vaguely, I re- <laughs> yes
2: Blue plus red equals yes. magenta. Okay, well, actually, great. Yeah, I well, just thought or, I'd walk or, or, or you through pur- that. Or purple as but, well, but anyway. <laughs> then you've got Jill Biden wearing a hot pink blazer. And the fashionistas are saying that she's coordinating with Kate's magenta dress. They went together to a primary school in Cornwall. And that that could be seen as a, as a demonstration that all is still harmonious in the special transatlantic relationship. And then you've got Carrie Johnson, the newly minted Carrie Johnson. And she uh, went for the boldest shade of the lot, ensuring she'd stand out in a punchy neon pink. Pink midi dress now of mm. course you know there's a maxi midi and minis yeah and she went for a very beachy look with with funny wedges that not not all of us were, were really enamored with but so here's the analysis pink is unapologetically feminine and it's a powerful choice for women in the public eye it says that being a woman and standing for what you believe in then make can make an impact on the world and they aren't mutually exclusive so there you go and I have noticed though that Not in this case, because Angela Merkel was wearing red and she was wearing blue, but she has worn a lot of pink. Ursula von der Leyen less, but still, there you go.
1: Now, I'm just uh, this was in Grazia magazine, of course, uh, one of one of the most uh, important news sources uh, <laughs> uh, around around this summit. It's, it, sounds, it sounds to me like obviously the reporter on the ground uh, was was maybe on the beach with a, an Aperol oh, spritz. A, a lot of Aperol a, spritz a plastic Pins. plastic cap. It, um, Chris, hand. Josh, uh, either of you can jump in. Uh, what sort of reporting have we seen from the sidelines uh, from down in Cornwall as well?
5: Uh, Well, I would say uh, maybe to jump on some other newspapers that that I find uh, interesting. Uh, When you look at the German newspapers, uh, uh, particularly because, as you mentioned, Angela Merkel and it being heard last summit, it's quite interesting to me that they're actually not that focused on the summit. They're, of course, focused on the German elections. So there's a lot of sort of talk. Uh, the Greens held their party conference this weekend as well, where Annalena Baerbock was officially made uh, German Chancellor, uh, you know, the can- candidate for German Chancellor. Armin Laschet is sort of talking about what he would do on the foreign policy stage. So they're sort of shifting over, if you will, um, to to other topics. But maybe one thing I'd just add in terms of the optics I, uh, of the G7 itself, I couldn't help but be... Uh, look at uh, Joe Biden and Emmanuel Macron when they, gave the, when they did their handshake, because that was, for me, sort of one of those moments comparing to Donald Trump and the long handshakes that Trump and Macron, this sort of power play that they had. This time it felt like that conciliatory, sort of conciliatory form of handshake that also was trying to signal that, you know, we're, we're back to multilateral cooperation.
1: Mm. Uh, Josh, uh, today at GB News, this is, uh, of course, Andrew Neal's uh, big moment. It's, it's the launch of another rolling news channel um, in the UK. Uh, much discussion about that. I mean, certainly in, certain, in media channels there has been, but what about in, in the papers today? Uh, what's being said?
6: Um, I think people are desperate to see what comes out of this 8pm um, launch this evening, what comes out of the MDF uh, knocked up on the walls in a Paddington studio uh, for a whole new TV channel at what I think everyone here agrees is quite an unusual time to launch a TV channel. People don't necessarily... Tune in, stick the same channel on, leave it on, wait for the live debate. And there's a few interesting things about this channel which people may not be aware of. It doesn't have correspondence per se. It doesn't report live on things. It's more of a kind of a talk show format, as you say, fronted by Andrew Neil, former editor of the Sunday Times, long-time BBC political interviewer. But if I could give you a little bit of a flavour of some of the other people they have on board, there's the former Sun executive editor, Dan Wotton, the phrase blowhard has never been too far away from uh, descriptions <laughs> of him. We have a former Apprentice contestant. Um, and notably, we have no Piers Morgan, the longtime Good Morning Britain rabble rouser. Um, and I think that's quite interesting, isn't it? The fact that... Perhaps GB News, this upstart channel, this Fox News for the UK as it's being painted in some of the papers, probably needs Piers Morgan's brand of firebrand populism more than he needs them. So I suppose what we're going to watch over the next few days is the initial broadcast, how it looks. Is it slick? Is it interesting? Does it represent the um, statue-loving populist, slightly centre-right people that it's claiming to? or is it um, a bunch of old guys sitting around in the room moaning that The Guardian doesn't fully represent their view? So it's super interesting, as you say, as a media story, but um, it's gonna be very interesting also to see how they deal with Ofcom, the UK's media regulator. They're gonna be this slightly populist, slightly right-leaning, commentary on the uh, the woke commentariat that they fear, but also they need to give both sides of the story while they're broadcasting, so they need to show um, due impartiality, I believe is the phrase that Ofcom uses. So that's going to be fascinating to see if they actually do represent all sides of the argument or if they skew a little more one way. I think we know that they probably will. Um, and the other thing to say uh, before I wrap up is just what else are they going to cover, Tyler? Like We could talk about statues for a few minutes and we could probably talk about um, the the problem with Boris Johnson or the left leaning BBC, but then what happens? What happens for the rest of the broadcasting time? So it's going to be super interesting to see how they fill out the impartiality, but also just how they fill out the long time. As you know, a lot goes into a radio broadcast or a
1: TV broadcast, and I'm just uh, I'm just worried worried they might run out of steam. Well, I mean, you you mentioned the word radio. It sounds a little bit like they're they're taking talk radio exactly. To, to television. So I mean, is it going to be sort of a radio style set with sort of cameras up in, in the corner what they're going to do? Do you think there's room for a channel like this right now, though, or not? I think there's
6: certainly room for more rounded reporting. I think there's certainly room for um, other opinions. <laughs> but I don't know if it needs to be in a linear format. Uh, you know, what does success look like uh, for them? Is it 100,000 viewers? Is it keeping that 100,000 viewers? Is it a million viewers? There's a real ceiling, I think, on how many people they can reach because of the format. And if a lot of younger people are getting their news in snippets at a time that's convenient for them, on podcasts, on Monocle 24, as I'm sure they all do, um, you look at this kind of linear model where you have to tune in and see it live. Do you think people are going to make a date with Andrew Neil? did they on the BBC? Uh-huh. One of the reasons that he left was because he had um, you know, proposed the idea that his show could be a bit more prime time and the BBC mm. had said no and there was a falling out. So I don't know if everyone is going to make a date to do it. But I do think people will tune in um, and it will be interesting to watch the papers over the next few days um, about how they look to make headlines, what guests they can get and what
1: topics they cover. Mm-hmm. Juliet, I mean, you worked for a rolling, sort of a rolling news organization before. Do you think um, this model still has, yeah, steam or not?
2: I always book at the cost of it because literally, at cost and maintaining interest, I mean, but you were in a
1: broadcaster. You had to put things out in 15 languages, though. So, 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 I mean, that, that,
2: and that... I was doing every single broadcast in 15 languages. No, yes, that was Euronews. That's what you're referring to. No, but, I, I was doing uh, extra time
1: oh. when you were at uh, at, at, at SRF um, in, in Switzerland. <laughs> in 15 languages. Well, I mean, they were they were doing... Bro- I mean, it, they in, also in had an moment, English
2: department. That's what you're referring to. It's could Swiss be that TV as well. no though. longer has an yeah. English news department. But, no, I mean, you've got a lot of costs, especially if you want to have, you know, fascinating content. Let's put it that way it's really hard to have constant ongoing fascinating content mm. that's going to attract a lot of viewers and i see christoph nodding he Well,
1: because no, me. i mean gbd <laughs> is also saying if this works they could also do a spanish model an eastern european model um you know could could this roll out do you think
4: they could we have seen a uh, quite a similar experiment in switzerland with the blick having its own tv station broadcasting 24 hours a day more or less or trying to But in fact, um, it shows that it's very difficult to reach um, the the, the audience you need to have to finance uh, the cost you have, because in fact, you get all your news just in time when you go on your news platforms. so nobody has the time today to just
1: is anyone in... watching blick, blick tv <laughs> live this is what i wonder because it, it's the first thing they push when, when it comes up on your mobile but is anyone tuning absolutely in? but
4: as far as i know from sources within the company <laughs> numbers are um, a catastrophe and they don't they don't see how they can push and this was while even during the pandemic during the height of like all right. the media buzz and all the attention all the like people sitting at home, at home w- yeah, work, working in front of the telly uh, i mean but- and now we're back to normal, and nobody wants. In fact, nobody wants to know what happens in Switzerland all the time, because in Switzerland there never not really. Happen- there's no. not a lot happening exactly. no yeah, no, I didn't be nice. Some, but some, some,
1: something big is happening this week. Maybe Christopher, you can set it up for us. Of course, uh, when uh, of course President Biden uh, leaves, uh, of course Cornwall, uh, there's going to be uh, later in the week, of course, a big kickoff in Geneva. Uh, we're going to see, of course, uh, the summit happening there. What what can we expect? Um, aside from, of course, some, some nice set dressing, what are we expecting between Biden Putin and Geneva later in the week?
4: Well, I think you can't expect the the picture at the windswept beaches of the Lake of Geneva, in fact, because um, as we hear it, like the the, the United States are trying to avoid uh, the pictures they had in 2018 in Helsinki when Trump and Putin met last time, um, when Putin used these pictures um, to strengthen his grip uh, or his position within uh, Russia and uh, what we can expect i think is uh joe biden that will speak candidly and uh, kind of open um, concerning the the uh, this escalating um, cyber warfare um, between russia and the united states he will but he will probably not threaten putin but just try to um, speak some reason or try to reason with him and um What else? I think Belarus is going to be on the table. I think um, climate change is going to be on the table and i think like um the strategic security issues uh, like the uh, nuclear arms treaties um that have been renewed but for only five years how can they continue to control uh, their nuclear weapons i think that that is going to be a big issue for uh, uh biden mm.
1: um chris in in london uh, just to tell us how, how is this going to play in the states do you think we're going to see you know, Air Force One. You know, with the full cavalcade of of correspondence like we normally do, you know, following a president. I mean, normally a summit like this would, would be enormous news uh, in in North America. Will it will it play out like that? Do you think? Well,
5: I think it is going to be enormous news. It's probably going to be the biggest bit of news uh, in the U.S., if you will, of of all of uh, Joe Biden's trip. But at the same time, I think the the messaging and and the way that this has been done. Uh, is quite interesting one just the fact that uh, it sort of putin was was scheduled at the end of this trip is being seen as this sign compared to say Donald Trump of you know Joe Biden is going to his allies first he 's going to be in Brussels after the g seven to consult there with NATO um, as well as with the European Union, and only then is he going to see uh, Vladimir Putin in uh, in Geneva. Um, the other aspect that's interesting, uh, as as we just touched on there, in terms of the optics of the actual meeting, there won't be those windswept photos of the beach. There won't even be a joint press conference between the two. The, the Joe Biden uh, has made clear, or his, his people have made clear, they're going to do a press conference on their own at the end of the summit. Um, which is also sort of an interesting you know signal, if, if you will, especially compared to if you will, the g seven where all of this was about you know America is back, and we're we're cooperating with our allies and look how well we're getting along they're They're very clearly taking a different tact, saying, you know the meeting with Putin is going to be about tough talk, making clear where the U.S. stands. Joe Biden is going to speak his mind to Vladimir Putin. And then he's not even going to have this sort of, you know, happy moment at the end of a joint press conference between the two. So I think that those kinds of optics are, are really going to be quite interesting. Uh, and final point, I'll just add, even though he's not getting the attention that that he used to, Donald Trump did, did uh, speak up uh, earlier this week. Uh, saying he wonders how Joe Biden is going to get along with Putin and asked ask Joe Biden to send Putin his warmest regards.
1: Mm. Uh, Josh, I mean, I, I brought this up earlier in the week. A neighbor was saying that this, this could also be, you know, the week of the coup as well, that, uh, of course, we could sort of see Trump return to the White House and that uh, Biden's just going to have to stay in Switzerland. Um, is, is that uh, tracking at all with you? <laughs> this <is> the first <laughs> uh, every, every, Everyone, everyone is sort of discussing. Well, not everyone. I think everyone in Kuznach and also places that sort of, you know, follow a political movement that starts with the letter Q. Uh, so, so, you know, they, they, they believe this is all sort of a big Putin ruse, of course, as well. Um, something very strange is going to happen on Lake Geneva later in the week. So um, Wouldn't it be the f- there's already
4: a lot of exile presidents in the Lake of Geneva area, so he could. Just, I thought uh,
1: or, or in the or in the lake even <laughs> uh, potentially. <laughs> so so Josh, I, I'm just wondering if uh, if, if scriptwriters are are already busy, uh, maybe s- scrip- scribbling away because it, it does have the basis for a, fa- a fantastic thriller.
6: Now they are. I, I think I think scribbling. you're
1: onto the scoop here, Tyler. See? I think you, you should uh,
2: you should. Well, no, I should script. talk to my my it's, it's, neighbor. My, it's my
1: neighbor. <laughs> but anyway, but
2: breaking uh, news are coming into the show next Sunday. Geneva <laughs> the will be they,
1: here. They could be. No, I, I did want to ask you just, Christoph, very quickly. Um, you know, Geneva sort of maybe been trying to reinvent itself a little bit. Is, is Geneva a bit of a winner to land this versus Prague or somewhere else that, that also could have won this as well?
4: Absolutely, not only Geneva but all of Switzerland. And in the diplomatic community, in the last uh, of Switzerland in the last ten years, they, Switzerland has seen itself outpowered by Finland, by Norway, by other countries that have. Um, made all these waves all these big um, summits and meetings and uh, in the uh, foreign office in switzerland they're very happy that they're back in the game and especially with geneva which had kind of a political crisis for the past 3 or 4 years with um, one governor that had has a corruption case going and uh, they they're really happy that they're back on the on the on the global stage. However, for the Geneva population, this summit comes with kind of a cost. Um, we've been waiting for summer to arrive for for months now, and now that it's actually here, we're having temperatures of thirty degrees. Like the whole lake area is shut down, and um, uh, no only, boats allowed. No, no s- boats, water skiing. Well, no the, ba- bathing the, the, the in the, the jetty.
1: The jet dough is still going to be running, hopefully. They
2: haven't Hope turned to get that off. Some spray but, from but you that,
4: probably but... won't see it because you can't, like.
2: Can't get close enough.
4: Can't no, get this, close this, enough. This, this is but, true.
2: but as a Swiss, can I just say, hooray. You know, the spirit of Geneva is back. Is it being yes. no, revived? It's, Thank it's, goodness. It's, it's good for them. And then they get to have bilateral talks with the Swiss, which is always nice for Guy Pamela to talk to Biden on his own and then to talk Yeah, to, and as you said, you know, it's, it's a good win Putin. for the foreign Why ministry not? here
1: as well. Just very quickly, it's a referendum day here. I know that Josh and Chris are sort of very, very keen, wondering, uh, there's a series of maybe. Two or three main topics that uh, people are going to the polls for today here in Switzerland. Uh, maybe just uh, remind our, our listeners around the world, uh, what, what's important for Swiss voters today?
4: Well, like the fiercest campaign was, our discussions was about two initiatives that proposed to ban uh, synthetic pesticides in all of Switzerland. That would mean that Switzerland's uh, farming sector would go organic in the next eight years, eight to 10 years, and totally organic, which is quite a big big issue Um, and then the second issue is like our um, co2 law climate uh, carbon dioxide law it's actually the first time globally that the paris climate accord is being put on the ballot and uh, it's kind of switzerland is uh, having a vote on its strategy to achieve the goals that we've uh, uh, accepted in Paris, and it concerns like uh, it taxes on fuels. It's a ban on um, oil heating, and it's uh, also taxes or a levy on uh, airline tickets. And we've seen a a, a very strong campaign from the oil lobby, from also EasyJet joining in, uh, saying they don't want the new law because uh, it will make flying more expensive. But then on the other hand, the money that that is being raised by these taxes will be used, for instance, to finance uh, a new night train um, net, which is going to uh, bring us connections to Barcelona, Amsterdam, Rome in the coming Years. Years. I'm a great Rome. fan of trains. Per, per, per the, I don't think uh, trains.
2: No, I, mean, I do. It would be the kids good if you want school, to get of down course, down but. I'm never going to go to Rome by train. No, maybe not. No, you wouldn't. Chris, Chris and Josh, no, but, before,
1: before we go to to London for the news headlines, uh, any questions about the referendums? Today? Anything you're sort of concerned about? Wondering, scratching your heads. Um, I'm I'm concerned with all this
6: direct democracy. What a what a wonderful idea it is, and it's great that people are getting involved. What's how many people turn out to these things? What's the percentage of uh, people who participate in uh, the future
4: of pesticides? Uh, today we expect like 45 percent, maybe 50 percent of people eligible to vote to actually turn out, which isn't too bad, but it's kind of in Switzerland because we can vote. Every three months, on literally everything, we don't go all the time. We just go when it's important, and we I don't.
2: I post, Christoph. Do you get it in the mail? This big fat envelope I, that you've I got do, to study. I do. Yeah. Yeah. I it do. takes you three months just to read through all the facts. Exactly. So to figure out which side you want to take, right?
4: <laughs> exactly. And sometimes you kind of answer <laughs> yeah. questions even the experts couldn't answer because they don't get it neither. And so... it's in German.
2: Mine's in German. That gives it an extra challenge, but.
4: Julia, are you staying with us for the show? I kind
2: of have to head off. Do you want another 10 minutes with me? (laughs)
1: If if you want, but before that we've got to go back to London. Emma (laughs) Nelson is there with the news headlines.
0: Thank you very much indeed, Tyler. Benjamin Netanyahu's 12 years in power as Israel's Prime Minister is expected to be brought to an end today when the Israeli Parliament approves the formation of a new government. Talks to revive the 2015 Iran nuclear deal have been held in Vienna. The EU has described the discussions as intense. Swiss voters go to the polls this weekend to decide on no fewer than five issues, from an anti-terror law to attacks on fossil fuels and a potential ban on pesticides. And according to the Tagus Anzeiger, the Swiss are drawn to the sea this year instead of the mountains. After more than a year of pandemic, people want to go to the beach and local tourism is paying the price. Thanks to the low number of infections, vaccinations and certificates, the Mediterranean countries are opening their borders and the Swiss are packing their sun hats and heading south. And those are the headlines. Back to you in Zurich, Tyler.
1: Emma, that's me tomorrow morning heading to Italy, <laughs> but but for work. Uh, On a
0: night train. <laughs> no,
1: no, no, no sun hats at all. Emma, do you want a, a co anchor? Because Juliet's got some other stories for you. Do, I, do you want. If yeah? you'll
0: have me, I'll stick around. No problem at all. I'd be delighted uh, okay. to.
1: Okay. So, so, Juliet, what you've got, you. you... Yeah, basically you promote two stories at the top of the program, one concerning AstraZeneca, the other one, of course, uh, around some very high valuations uh, for, for some businesses that are basically <laughs> remarketing Threat old, old tat.
2: Yes. Well, I call it old tat, but, but I anyway. know that you're a, you're a big fan of Brockies, as they call them I here. I like Brockies, but for right? furniture, not, for, for, furniture not, not for, for clothes. Not for,
1: not for clothes. Secondhand uh, c-
2: Gucci c- handbags?
1: Ceramics, etc. That's That's me.
2: No, yeah. Well, the news now is that um, shopping app Etsy, which I know Emma knows, I'm not sure you know. Emma, t- do you
1: know it? Just just we have to verify this. Never used it, but no.
2: They've gone over an app called Depop for $1.6 billion. Mm. That's a lot of money. And basically, uh, you used to go and peruse flea markets, serendipitous treasure hunting for discarded items. You never knew what gem you might find. Now it's done by app, Amazon style. You just scroll through and you pick up. It's usually high-end, second-hand recycled goods. And apparently the younger generation, who are the ones who are voting... (laughs) in favor of banning pesticides in Switzerland for instance they're also concerned of course with sustainability so giving an item like designer jeans this is an article in the FT said giving an item like designer jeans say a new lease on life is tantamount to tying yourself to a tree like eco warriors of bygone days remember when they used to tie themselves to trees so they wouldn't chop them down if they had to create a highway well that's what you do now you go on an app and you buy a secondhand um, outfit Okay. Meanwhile, in Italy. Back to Italy. Yeah. No, Italy, very sad situation. You had an 18-year-old girl who died after getting AstraZeneca shot. So uh, you've got Corriere, Repubblica. They're all focusing on uh, the fact that Italy has halted the vaccines for under 60s. So a lot of our friends and colleagues, they need to get their second jab. And now it's going to probably be a Pfizer and they're, they're mad they're up in arms they're saying you know now we really feel like guinea pigs well this is the question they say yes they say it's okay you can mix it too but hence the sort of guinea pig um, allegations and um, this poor girl she um, she died from a, a rare form of blood clotting she got the shot on May 25th it was her first shot died June 9th and her death was triggered her death triggered a political and media outcry because there was a whole issue of AstraZeneca shots not being used in younger patients and She actually had it at what's called an open day in the vaccination centres that have been having them in Italy where the the shot was administered to people who are over the age of 18, and clearly not a lot of attention was paid to she had a pre-existing medical condition. It's not clear whether she actually knew it or not, but she had issues with her blood platelets. In the Italian media, also of course, you do have a lot of attention being paid to Christian Eriksen, the, uh, the Danish soccer player who collapsed. He's well. He's going to be okay. But he plays for Inter Milan, so there was particular shock amongst the Italian soccer community. I just put, thought I'd put that in there after Italy won against Turkey in their opening match on Friday.
1: Yes, just get, just get, get that in there. There.
2: And then the Pinocchio story? Can we just oh yeah very for quickly for one now, second? We, just before and we we're, we're heading you, to we're heading to Berlin news, we're but... heading to
1: Berlin in a moment, but I think everyone will have seen the story off the coast of, uh, the of, love of it. Massachusetts. <laughs> a gentleman who who claimed that he was out diving. He's a fisherman. He's a lobster uh, was, fisherman
2: in Cape Cod. Was
1: swallowed by a humpback whale, but
2: spat out. Luckily spat out. He claims after 30 to 40 seconds inside. There are those who wonder if not only is there an analogy with Pinocchio who ended up in the whale's tummy, but is there a bit of a Pinocchio? You're going on here with mm,
1: mm.
5: perhaps uh, Josh, uh,
2: Josh told. Fenner, our
1: deputator back in London. Josh, <laughs> um, any 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 thoughts? On, any any thoughts this. on on this story? Is, is it playing out uh, in the UK as big as it is in Italy? Um, yeah, there's, there's, a little, there's a little bit of speculation. I think it's funny that Juliet went for the Pinocchio
6: reference. But isn't it Jonah? Isn't it the big biblical story? Well, I was going to say
1: Jonah. Yeah, exactly. He, but, he was, but the Italians, it, listen, the Italians, you know, they, yeah, they want to true. go with their own <laughs> domestic mythology. They love, they love to promote
6: an artisan where they can. And that's exactly what Pinocchio was. A great bit of, a great bit of artistry.
1: Who, who is Pinocchio's father? Geppetto. Geppetto. that's him. Very, very good. Um, speaking of craftsmen, more sort of craftsmen of of great words and covers. Um, I want to go to uh, Berlin right now. Christopher Amend is there, the editor of Zeit Magazine. Guten Morgen.
7: Guten Morgen. I love the Pinocchio story,
1: though. <laughs> yeah, well, is is this going to have sort of any type of res, resonance? And you're going to have to work it in somehow, maybe over a summer issue of, of Zeit Magazine.
7: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we, yeah. Sort of finding out about the, the truth about human beings by retelling the Pinocchio stories. I think is always it's a good way. Because <laughs> no, I, 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 we uh, have Pinocchio's to.
2: Father w- was swallowed by a whale. It was Jim Henson who was. Yes, exactly. Let's not get our biblical yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: confused. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we're no, going to no, go. I've got to run. It was Julia a pleasure off being to, with off you. To go, go, Carlton. <laughs> right now. Go, karting <laughs> um, <laughs> It's my nine-year-old
2: son. Let's make that clear.
1: Christophe, let's, uh, let's talk about this week's cover, which is an absolute embroidered stunner.
7: Thank you so much. Yeah. I mean, we had, um, so, so one of my, one of my colleagues is writing a piece about uh, how he and his peers, his generation, he's in his late forties, has sort of transformed sort of early retirement type of people. And sort of, it's a sort of a funny kind of funny essay about, uh, the, the way that the, the past couple of months have sort of, um, um shaken up people's lifestyles in a, in a way. And so, um, when we thought about how we could visualize this this piece a couple of weeks ago we came up with this idea of you know have someone uh, some retired person but also have someone who who knows how to embroider uh who's you know this kind of old um uh, old habit uh, um, and could turn this into a cover and then uh, our photo, photo editor Nora Holstein found a woman in a small town in Bavaria Ingrid Müller uh, who then who we then hired to actually, yeah, uh, you know, produce our first embroidered uh, follow-up cover and then also the visuals for the inside of the story. So um, yeah, it's actually one of my favorites this year.
1: And and maybe take us take us through also the commissioning process. I mean, to also deliver a, a cover brief to someone who's not doing that day in and day out.
7: Yeah, I mean, it, ta- it takes a, it takes a while uh, to uh, you know to communicate and explain what we need and uh also because we uh we then have to come up with the headlines and everything that will be on the cover um by um you know just ahead of time so so weeks ahead before the cover is actually published we have to sort of finish it um technically and um, with all the content and then work with her like step by step and she had lots of fun i mean yeah uh, Ingrid Müller. Um, and um, yeah, maybe, I mean, uh, um, uh, a magazine editor from, from the UK got in touch with me. Someone who's working on a, on a book uh, about culture, about sort of special covers, got in touch with me last week. And he wants to contact her and, and add her work in his uh, book that I think will be published next year. So uh, I don't know. Maybe she's into a, a late career in magazine mm. journalism. Who knows?
1: I, I was just wondering, though, I was going to say, um, Josh Fenner, our deputy editor back in London, Josh, that wasn't you, because um, I was, I was cooking, I, Josh, I was cooking up some ideas for you, potentially, uh, as to how we could sort of go one, one better than Zeit magazine. Any thoughts on that? A porcelain uh, cover. A porcelain <laughs> cover. That, I, I, like, I like that. <laughs> we could, we could do piece. some ceramics.
7: Yeah, we, you. Oh, well, ceramics you, is great. Yeah, yeah you, you we can did, find, we actually. We, we, we did an, a, a ceramics cover um two or three years ago for the for for salona uh covering uh peter rams design so we kind of we rebuilt the the famous dita rams calculator by, uh in ceramics so that's fun it's i can I can only advise you to do that.
1: So. John, well, okay. Sounds sounds like we've we've been uh, we've been beaten on on that one um, as as well. Um, Chris, no, I'm just no, um, no. T- t- two, two other quick points. Um, congratulations as well. You won a German podcast um, award. Uh, for you. what exactly?
7: Uh, I'm hosting uh, an, a podcast, uh, so a, an interview podcast, together with my colleague uh, Jochen Beckner, who's the editor of Zeit Online. And this podcast is called "Alles gesagt," uh, enough said. And it's, uh, it's sort of an infinitive uh, podcast because we, as the hosts, never know when the conversation will end. It's, it's only up to the guest. So if our guest, who's usually a um, famous uh, writer or politician, uh, thinks, you know, now everything has been said, now enough has been said, then the podcast conversation uh, ends. And uh, usually, so this takes us into three, four, five hours the longest conversation we had was was uh, nearly nine hours, so it's it's kind of a it's kind of a trip, I tell you. And the, but the funny thing is, like, sort of, we have like hundreds of thousands of people are listening to this podcast. Um, crazily enough, I don't know when and how they do it, but um, sometimes we get these kind of emails of, of listeners saying, "Oh, thank you so much! I fell asleep four times with your podcast. It was amazing." <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, Christopher, just uh, now the, the, this is one that Josh and I are very interested in. Of course, uh, you've been you're working on your new food launch, uh, which we, yes. we believe will be later in the year, or early next year. Um, but of course, we want to follow the progress of it. How
7: is it coming along? Uh, we're actually um, in the middle of, of um, uh, producing the first issue, which will come out in uh, the first week of September. And, um, it's, it's, it's kind of, I mean, you, you're covering food as well regularly. You, you're doing your food magazine. I mean, the, the, it's so much fun working on, on a food magazine because you're constantly thinking about, you know, one of the most nicest things in the world, food and drinks. And, uh, it's, it's really all the meetings are, are really in every meeting is really in a good mood because, you know, you're talking about, Oh, should we add, should we add some more, uh, uh, a bakery culture in 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 the magazine. Don't uh, we need some more sweets and stuff? So it's it's really fun to work on. Um, yeah, it's called Zeitmagazin Wochenmarkt uh, because Wochenmarkt uh, the, the weekly food market the column. Weekly market. Uh, yeah, yeah, the weekly market is so popular in 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 our weekly magazine. So we're taking this weekly column into a magazine. Um, we're also um, we'll be running uh, events around the magazine. We started a newsletter. Um, Instagram account and so on and so forth, and um, we're really into the food uh, September. Uh, working on it right now at the moment.
1: Okay, we look forward to seeing it the first week of September. Finally, just before we go, what can we expect from Zeit Magazine um, over the course of the summer? No, no breaks or um, any special editions coming up in uh, what
7: are we on, on, on a Thursday? Uh, yeah, no breaks. Of course, I mean we're, we're published every Thursday. There's there's no summer break for us. Um, And uh, we're actually also working on uh, our next international issue, which will come out uh, uh, also a bit later in September. So that's something I'm I'm working on right now, you know, picking up the best stories of the weekly, re-editing it into uh, our English uh, version.
1: Very good. Christoph Amand, uh, Editorial Director at Zeit Magazine in Berlin. Very, very good to hear from you. We'll catch up with you, of course, later in the summer. You're listening to Monocle on Sunday. We're going away for a very short break. We're back after this.
6: What kind of city do you want to live in? Every week on The Urbanist, we delve into the biggest questions about urban living and meet the people championing change in our cities. From star architects to designosauruses, protected views to landfills, river walks and sidewalks, wayfinding and cycle highways, the city is alive and kicking. So how can we make them better places to live in? The other great city creation, of course, is sex. Young people go to cities to have a good time and to enjoy themselves and to meet their life partners and maybe a few other people on the way. Join me, Andrew Tuck, every Thursday at 20 hundred hours London time for a brand new episode or subscribe to the podcast and listen as you go. The Urbanist, the show that knows its good mares from his planning nightmares.
1: Just go on 10.45 here in Zurich. Time to head to Tokyo. our Fiona Wilson uh, is there, our Bureau Chief. Fiona Wilson, good afternoon.
3: Good afternoon. Hello. Very hot here in Tokyo. I've just uh, returned from Yoyogi Park and, um, yeah, everyone's <laughs> out enjoying the, uh, the balmy weather.
1: OK, I, I, can, I can only imagine. A little bit humid, I would imagine, as well.
3: It is. It's quite steamy. Yeah, uh, Rainy season underway now. So, yeah, definitely uh, on the humid side.
1: Well, our our listeners, of course, have probably been hearing that Yoyogi Park has become a bit of a, of a flashpoint because of you know barricades and various things that are being erected in advance of the of the Olympics. Uh, has it sort of gotten in the way of your pleasant Sunday though?
3: Do you know what? It really is a bit of a mess, Yogi Park. Um, Yeah, it's still looking a bit like a sort of Christo installation wrapped in orange barriers absolutely everywhere. And the central part is now being turned into it was going to be a live event space, but the, uh, the public said a big no to that. So what they were building for an event space is being turned into a vaccination centre. Um, so basically until October, the middle of the park is really out of bounds, which means that every everyone's on the fringes of the park in quite a small area. So it's slightly counterproductive. It means everyone's sort of picnicking in a very small area now. But, uh, you know, still, it's great to be out and about. And it was good to see the rockabillies are back, the famous Yoyogi Park rockabillies. It's the first time I've seen them in a, in a, a long time. So um, it felt like signs of normality today.
1: But not just the rockabilly uh, crowd. Do do we have all sort of, you know, sort of the the full uh, spectrum uh, of different performers along Yoki Park?
3: Yeah, I mean, you know... Yogi Park is just always busy at the weekend and you, apart from anything, you've got like a million dogs, uh, my own included. So there's that whole scene. You've got you've got people this morning. I was there. There were so many yoga classes, sort of competing yoga classes. I saw one very lively aerobics class and a salsa class even. So, yeah, you've got you've got everything, the whole spectrum. And I think everyone's just keen to get outdoors um, and, and just enjoy this weather.
1: And what does this mean that in terms of, because we, we've, of course, almost every week we're talking about the run up to the Olympics um, oh. and, and what this means. And of course, we have, you know, measures, of course, being more strictly enforced and we see easing um, in, in other prefectures. What What is the latest uh, on this particular Sunday?
3: Yeah, so the latest is that, um, the state emergency in 10 prefectures are due to be lifted due to end on the 20th. Uh, so that's very exciting. It looks like Tokyo and Osaka will not completely come out of their state of emergency. They've got this sort of second tier emergency, sort of quasi-emergency, they call it, which means there are restrictions, but not quite as strict as they are now. Uh, The the alcohol may be served in restaurants, hours may be extended. We don't know yet. There's going going to be a meeting on Thursday. Prime Minister Suga will be having a meeting, see where the numbers are. I think what they want to do is keep Tokyo slightly, uh, you know, they don't want people coming back full guns at the moment because they want to keep numbers down ahead of the Olympics. So they don't want what happened in March, which was when the state of emergency ended infection numbers rose. So they don't want to see that. So I think Tokyo and Osaka also a question Mark about poor Okinawa, which has had quite a tough time in the last few weeks. I think after golden week, so many people went down there to enjoy the beaches and they've had quite a spike in infection. So maybe Okinawa, Hokkaido, we'll see about that. But um you know, moving in the right direction and vaccination's really
1: speeding up now. Mm. Okinawa makes me think of, uh, of former uh, G7 and G8 uh, summits. Uh, how How is the mm. G7 uh, summit being covered by by the Japanese media? Is this is this uh, making big headlines, of course, having... I mean, it's not the, the, the first uh, big overseas trip, of course, for Suga, but um, nevertheless, it's, um, you know, it, it is another platform, of course, for this leadership.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And he's not a natural, you know... International diplomat, he's not experienced at that. Although he's a very seasoned politician, he looks a bit uncomfortable in these situations. So, I think what people wanted to see was support for the Olympics, which is, you know, that was what they're hoping for from Japan. The Olympics just still dominating the news agenda here. So, that angle very important. And I also also think they wanted to see, particularly Biden, making strong noises about China and uh, keeping China in check. I think previously. Japan's felt a little bit that, you know, that agenda has been lost. And it certainly was lost in 2019 at the G7 in Biarritz. Uh, Trump didn't really want to get into that that much. So I think this this will be a, a more positive G7 for Japan.
1: Mm. And uh, just uh, thinking about people flying around the world, you had you had some interesting stats that have come out about, uh, which it was certainly good news for airlines and also airports in Japan as, as as travel hopefully ramps up.
3: Yeah, I thought you'd be interested in this statistic. I mean, Syriam who do the... Uh, aviation analytics they haven't for a while done the the monthly punctuality figures it's been impossible to do it because you know flight numbers have been down so much but they've just done it for the first time in over a year and japan will be pleased to know that Haneda airport in tokyo turned out to be the most punctual airport and JAL japan airlines turned out to be the most punctual airline second was uh, ANA. so i think it was <laughs> quite typical i think if you know japan and you've traveled in japan you wouldn't be that surprised and particularly hanada where things really do run like clockwork. But I think it's just a sign that travel's really picking up um, and it's, you know, it's possible to do these kind of uh, analytics at the moment.
1: Mm, You you pulled out some other airlines there. I want to just bring uh, Josh Fenner in in London. Uh, Josh, some of the other standout carriers, uh, okay, Hawaiian Airlines, um, maybe we can get them. What about Red Wings Zhao uh, Airlines? Um, I haven't seen you covering Red Wings Zhao um, in our travel page as much. I think probably their punctuality might be the best
6: thing about that service, Tyler. I'll be—I'll be perfectly honest. I don't have the routes in front of me, but I'm not certain um, we want to divert uh, monocles or confect readers at uh, that <laughs> matter. Maybe we'll—maybe um, we'll try a couple of intrepid flights ourselves. Um, and maybe when you're next in uh, in the region, we can uh, we, we can send you off on one of those. Tyler, you game?
1: Well, yeah, absolutely. And and the good news, I mean, Fiona, is as, as as you know. But uh, by the way, one ask, just you know, when it, when it comes to you know, Japan is rather sort of known for bureaucracy. I mean, how difficult is it for people to sort of figure out what the rules are? Because trying to fill out that form uh, to get to get a visa to come into Japan, it's got like a fifty page handbook that goes with it.
3: I mean, I think you've you've just yeah hit the nail on the head, it's very difficult. I mean, I was quite surprised reading that booklet, all the things I didn't know, and I live here. So, yeah, I think, I think it's fairly labyrinthine, the rules at the moment. Yes, you've really got to be on your game. And I think what they need is a cheat sheet, you know, I think rules for yeah, There's no will there's provide. no executive
1: there's no executive no executive of su- summary and um, maybe just bring our listeners up to speed. We will be covering the Olympics. Um, I'll be there. Fiona Wilson will be there are certainly our Jin Fuku as well. But Fiona, we haven't sort of divided up who's going to be doing what during the Olympics.
3: I know that's that's going to be an interesting one. Have you got any any sporting preference, Tyler?
1: Uh, I, I think what we, you know, we obviously we have some, some very good friends, um, and we'll have some probably we'll be able to get some good seats um, in, in the world of, of swimming. But I think also just you know, I think just good old track and field, and track and field will be in the main. I mean, we'll be in the new well, yeah, the, the new stadium, or, or is it going to be in a variety of different venues?
3: Well, it will. I mean, it will be in the new stadium, and I have to say, I, I really want to, to get into the new stadium, which we haven't been allowed to do yet. Um, and I interviewed Kengo Kuma recently, and he wasn't allowed in either, so. Um, yeah, I really want to see what's going on inside that stadium. So even from an architectural point of view, I'm, I'm, you know, please may I do the uh, track and field?
1: I'm, I'm concerned though because I'm only supposed, to, I'm only allowed to really go between the hotel and 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 the venue according to the the, the rule book anyway. And and of course they're going to be uh, monitoring mobile phones. We'll see how that goes.
3: Yeah, looking forward to
1: that. <laughs> uh, just Josh, I want to bring you, bring you in uh, on that. Uh, any thoughts uh, on uh, on what you want to see from the from the Olympic Games as well? Certainly, certainly for Monocle's coverage, anyway. Oh, I was going to answer in a personal capacity about my oh, well, uh, uh, my, my Josh, love of dressage. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, we we have a lot
6: of horsey listeners on this program. We have a lot of horsey listeners. Um, I, you know, I'm I'm interested in the track and field. Those are the real uh, those are the real show stoppers, aren't they? But it's the, it's the weird and wonderful. It's the two. It's the, you know, it's the two p.m. on a Tuesday kind of event that I'm interested in. The thing that I didn't quite know was the sport. I also I've got I think you know the heptathletes, the pentathletes. They're kind of amazing. These people that perform right at the top of their games. But I did want to ask um, Fiona while she's here. We we do a weekly call with the bureaus. And um, the last time I spoke to her, the whereabouts of our um, team in Japan wasn't fully accounted for. Junichi Toyofuku disappeared off to do some fishing, I presume as an Olympic preparation to understand the sport better, um, and had taken a knife just in case he encountered bears on his trip. Has he returned safely, Fiona, to do this reporting?
3: Do you know what? He's not only returned, he he was out on a boat yesterday, so I think he's had a personality transplant. He's become... Sort of Mr. Outdoors, action man. Yeah, you're right. He did have a knife ready for combat because there has been a big increase in bear attacks, and everyone's taken up fishing in the last year. So, uh, Jun was taking good advice. Um, I'm not sure he caught any fish, but he he certainly looked the part with the knife and some quite uh, fancy-looking waders. This so has, um,
6: this has the seeds of quite a dangerous Olympic event, doesn't it? There's close combat, there's fishing, there's jeopardy. I think I think we could get we could get involved in this. I,
1: I just want to bring Christoph in very quickly. Christoph, what what are Switzerland's great Olympic hopes that are going into the game? games in Tokyo?
4: Well, I'd say my personal uh, Olympic hope for Switzerland is um, Küng, a Swiss cyclist, who is uh, uh, Stefan Küng. He's from uh, Canton Thurgau. He's a time trialist, uh, very strong. He's uh, won uh, the time trial in the Tour de Suisse uh, last weekend. And he's uh, kind of the new Fabian Cancellara, who was one of our big Olympic heroes. But um, we always have like um, we had a, a, a lady which was forty three when she last won a, a bronze medal in um, what what uh, like a, p- with a pistol what it's called uh, what is it called the, like. Shooting? Shooting. Shooting, shooting yeah. probably. <laughs> uh, which was quite a sensation, and uh, I think she's back again. Yeah.
1: Mm, okay. Um, Fiona, just uh, just very quickly, remind us are, are of course some events are, are being, of course, spread around, but is the marathon still going to be up in Hokkaido as originally planned, or, or has, has that all changed in, in, in the last year?
3: No, that is still going to be in Sapporo, and a good thing too, because they are predicting a, a very hot summer, and you know how hot summers can be here, and Hokkaido should be a lot cooler. I have to say last week it was well over 30 degrees, but it should be, in theory, quite a bit cooler than Tokyo. So that's happening. Of course, you know, you've got surfing that's happening in Chiba. So that's another. That's a new sport. That, that will be an interesting one. So on the wild Chiba coastline, yeah. So that's, it's, there's, there are a few events spread around the country.
1: Um, and just uh, maybe we should have a, sort of again a weekly a weekly check in as well on on, on the temperature, uh, and that's, that's the the temperature in terms of the national national mood. Um, any, any more excitement? Any more uptick? Um, a few more sort of uh, flags being waved around the streets, Fiona.
3: Um, You know, honestly, not really. As I said the other day, the actual flags are looking a bit perkier because they've replaced them in the last couple of weeks. So the the banners around the streets of Shibuya certainly look a lot brighter. You know, really, I would say like politically, it's still not a popular (laughs) time for the Olympics. And, 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 you know, the Japan Medical Workers Union on Friday said, please cancel. The leader of the opposition said it's not too late to cancel. In fact, today I passed the Japan Communist Party in my neighbourhood who were had banners up calling for the cancellation. So it's a mixed picture. I think there are positive things about COVID, you know, with the vaccination really speeding up. Um, But I think politically, it's still rather toxic, the Olympic Games. And that's something uh, Suga's gonna have to deal with come his leadership election in September.
1: Mm, Fiona Wilson, our bureau chief in Tokyo. We're going to have to leave it uh, there. Christoph Lenz, just looking ahead in 15 seconds or less, what's gonna be the the, the main news story? Of course, maybe the fallout, of course, of the referendums today. Uh, Anything else we can look forward to in Switzerland this week?
4: Well, of course, the uh, Biden-Putin summit in Geneva. And um, then if uh, the, the carbon dioxide law would really fail, which is possible, um, we will have a lot of um, head ringing, uh, hand-wringing and uh, head-banging about what to do to achieve uh, Paris climate goals.
1: Mm. Uh, Chris, uh, Chairmaker, news editor, in 15 seconds or less, uh, main stories we're following, tomorrow or beyond, aside from GB News, of course.
5: Uh, Aside from GB News, uh, tomorrow really the focus will be on Brussels, so I'm curious to see what comes from there, from the NATO summit as well as the EU summit between Joe Biden and his
1: European allies. Very good. And Josh Fenner, a little bit of house news for us. So what's happening on the, the floors of Monocle?
6: God, I'd need more than 15 seconds, but let's give it a go. Andrew Tucker, editor-in-chief, has taken the first days off in living memory, so he will be out of the office. <laughs> Confect. We,
1: and with, with no reporting from, from Palma, which is... Uh, well, well, we
6: had some small reporting we'll, yesterday. We'll but. hear from Palma, I'm sure of that. Uh, Confect Issue 3, I think, is the big news. That lands on Thursday. And if anyone hasn't
1: signed up to the newsletter, they'll get a little preview on Tuesday. But that's the big launch for next week. Very good, Josh Venert, Christoph Lenz, Chris Chermak, Emma Nelson, and also Fiona Wilson uh, in Tokyo, and of course Juliet Lindley at the top of the show, uh, as well, and uh, Christoph Ahmed. Our producers were Emma Nelson and Marcus Hippie. Our studio manager in Zurich was Desiree Bandley, and in London, Nora Hall. I'm Tyler Brule. Monocle on Sundays back next weekend. Have a very good Sunday. Goodbye.